Hi, my beautiful people. I just wanted to let you know about a book that's helped me save a lot of money. The book is called How to Buy in Today's Digital World, Tips for Those Who Want to Save a Buck. This book provides step-by-step -step tips on how to save money on your online purchases. It also instructs you on making smart financial decisions when buying groceries, booking flights and hotels, plus lots more. I hope you get a chance to get your copy. I think you'll love it, and I know you'll save some money. Available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You're listening to Augustus Cho's Fry It Up podcast on the Nana Music Network. on today's Fry It Up with Augustus Cho. Many strive to become a legend in their chosen field. Very few succeed. The field of entertainment is no different. At this point in time, however, my guest qualifies as a living legend. My guest has been on the beach music scene for over 63 years in one form or another. Fortuitously, my guest was right there at the beginning of what would ultimately become a genre of music called beach music. And over the years, he and the band he was part of played an integral part in becoming synonymous with a unique sound and the culture of beach music in the southeastern United States. And also in some way, he and the band inadvertently served to impact civil rights by their performances. And we will get into that part of the conversation as well. In any event, beach music has become legitimately a music genre of its own, which in no small part, my guest was directly and indirectly responsible. As such, he has been referred to as the father of beach music. Now, as a former Catholic and the host of this program, let it be stated for the record, that on July 12th of the year 2021, the Fra Ida podcast confers upon my guest the elevated title of the Godfather of Beach Music. And with that, I welcome to the mic the Godfather of it all, one Jackie Gore. Aloha, Jackie. Thank you, Augustus. I'm so proud to be here on this podcast. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. You know, I knew you when you had a little more hair. Well, that's been a while ago. <laughs> How's life been treating you so far? I could not be more blessed. I am just as happy as I ever could be or could possibly be. I've got a great life, and uh, I'm just so thrilled to, to be a part of this wonderful life. That's great. Not many people can say that, and I'm glad you can say that. You know, when I look at you and me, it takes me back 35 years ago, and I think my, how society in general and our Southern society in particular has changed so much over the past three and a half decades. What are your, some of your thoughts on that? Well, everything has changed quite a bit and uh, it, it keeps changing. And uh, 
but uh, time goes on and beach music goes on, and I'm glad to be a part of that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right, Jackie. Now, many of us know your name, your music, and your instrument that you play, and other aspects of your performances, but not many of us know about your background in particular. Where were you born and raised? I was born in Durham, North Carolina, and uh, I was uh, I moved to Raleigh when I was 12 or 13 years old and actually grew up uh, in Raleigh and went to high school in Raleigh. And so Raleigh is actually my home. Okay, let's give uh, kudos to all those places. In Durham, did you attend middle school or junior high school there? I started at the junior high school at East Durham Junior High School through the seventh grade, and then we moved to Raleigh, and uh, I continued my high, my junior high school in Raleigh, North Carolina. Was that Broughton back then? Did they have Broughton back then, or what? That, that Broughton was the high school. The, the junior high school was uh, called Hugh Morrison, and then we, then we went over to Needham Broughton in high school. How about that? I attended Brogdon Middle School, uh, Middle Junior High School, I guess what they called it back then, in Durham, for one year. Right How about off that? Duke, yeah, right off Duke Street, and I attended Sanderson High School, which did not exist when you were there. Right. But it's there now, and it's already almost uh, thirty some years old already. Um, what was your childhood like, Jackie? I had a great childhood. Uh... I started singing when I was in, in, in Sunday school back when I was five, six, seven years old. That's when my singing uh, started. And then uh, I started uh, singing beach music. Uh, actually, when we started the Embers in 1958, but I had been singing for quite a few years before that, 12, 13, 14 years old, I had been singing. It was called R&B, Rhythm and Blues, uh, in the early days. Right, right. So essentially, church choir was your impetus for getting into singing. Somewhat. Now, did you sing gospel then, or was it more hymnal? It was more hymnal. Okay. <laughs> did you always sing that tenor voice at that time? Probably, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, we throw the term beach music around, but it seems like people define beach music in different ways. What is your perspective of what makes beach music a uh, beach music? Well, you know, beach music uh, came about uh, in the, uh, we had opened a club, uh, the Ember Club, up in 1968 down on Atlantic Beach, North Carolina. And all the kids would come to hear me sing and perform with the Embers in 1968 at the Embers Beach Club. And then when they would go home, they would want to know where all that music was they heard back on the beach. And that was in 1968. And that's when the term beach music became synonymous. In 1968, that's when beach music became what it is today. Right. And what kind of music was it? Was it mostly uh, African-American music, rhythm and blues? I mean, how would rhythm you define it? Rhythm and blues is what it was. You know, uh, black music was and That's what I grew up with. That's what I always loved, even as a, a very young child. 
I love the uh, the entertainment that the black people were providing, and it was called R and B rhythm and blues, and that's that's where our music came from. Beach music came from the old rhythm and blues era. era. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I had heard sometime in the past that the radio stations would not play uh, black African uh, American music. So uh, you, I guess, I guess it was Bobby or someone. They, he had to listen to some music in some Ohio uh, radio station somewhere, and and you guys wanted to. He wanted to perform some of that. Is that about right? That's exactly right. Uh, in those days, you know, black people uh, were dealt a very uh, a very not a very good hand as the far because they were so great entertainers and some great singers that I uh, tried to emulate in the early days and the black people it took them a while to really to, to overcome all that stuff and uh, the world has really changed since then and thank God that it has. Yeah, uh, in a way, I, in the introduction, I said that you the embers and you made an impact in civil rights because by playing black music, uh, pop music at the time, you opened it up to a lot of the uh, dominant white culture and show them what was going on behind the scene. That's exactly right. That is very true. Is that something you're proud of in retrospect? Yes. Uh, I am proud of everything that I have accomplished in my 63 years as an entertainer. And uh, in the early days, uh, we had to overcome a lot of things of which we, we certainly did. And it, it, it's become what it is today. And what a great uh, reality that is. Yes, yes, and thank God for that. Staying at the present time, what do you miss the most of not being full-time musician and singer at the time now? You know what, I did this uh, <clears throat> for much of my life. And then uh, I got out of this in 1994 is when I, I left the Embers and started doing a, a kind of a personal thing where I didn't have to travel uh, uh, all those dates during the year. And I, life is really a lot better now that I, I, I play, you know, quite a, a few dates uh, now a month with, with the band that I have now. And uh, we, we have, we're a great little band and uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just a wonderful thing what we have, what we have overcome and where we are today. Well, tell us the name of the band that you're involved there with presently. It's called the Martin Davis Band. Where those those two guys, Durwood Martin was the keyboard player with the Embers back in the early 60s we played together. And Tony Davis was a great drummer. And they formed the Martin Davis Band. And then they took me on, and it's called the Martin Davis Band featuring Jackie Gore. Yeah, and I saw you, uh, you and Durwood. I think about two weeks ago, on July fifth, July fourth. That's right, and uh, we got a great. I'm enjoying playing right now more than I ever have in my 63 years of the music industry. And probably you don't take anything for granted at this time, right? You really enjoy each and every performance for itself. Of course not. I do, and I and and I look forward to every job we play because. I know how to entertain people and people love what we do. And I am so blessed to have that uh, ability to entertain as, as we do. 
Yes, you do. And yes, you did. What would you say is the status of beach music as a whole? What do you mean the status of beach music? I'm not sure what you mean. Yeah, I mean, what what kind of condition is the a beach music community at the present time? I think it's bigger than it ever has because all of the people who I grew up with in the early days, all of their children love what beach music is now, and they're really carrying it forward as much as it ever has as we speak right now. The children love our music as good as their parents ever did. And I think largely uh, all these younger people know words to the songs that they sing along with the bands because they've heard it so many times from their parents when they play those uh, LPs. That's exactly right. Did you expect that to happen when you were performing in the 70s? Uh, well, I, I just knew how much people loved what we did, and I, couldn't, I couldn't, could not imagine that uh, it ever uh, going uh, in a different direction except for up. And uh, it, it's gone and it's continued to go up ever since I started singing in 1958, beach music. <laughs> That's right. One of the things that concerns me, as I observe it, of the beach music community is that the average band and their uh, members' ages pushing 70, if not over. And it seems like many of them are senior citizens still performing. Does that concern you at all? Because we need more younger people to come in to perform. And do we have enough in the pipeline to replace what will inevitably be? Well, you know, there are a lot of uh, young people uh, forming beach music groups as we speak, you know, and they try to, they, they emulate a lot of the things that we have done over the years, which makes me very happy. But there are a lot of young people coming up who love uh, what their parents love, the kind of music they love, and they're trying to emulate uh, what we did over the many, many years. So you think uh, we will have enough performers in the pipeline to continue the genre? I certainly do. That's good because that's one of the things that concerns me uh, often when I see these bands perform. Now, you know, I identify with the North Tower band and I know you know them for a number of reasons, but one of the big reasons is that, uh, as you know, the band started from the campus of University of North Carolina. I know that. Yes. and. Whenever I see North Tower performing, it reminds me of my young college years, as well as uh, me being an alumni of North Carolina. Now, there's a reason why I like the Embers, too, because it has a special place in my heart, because I was born in 1958. That's great. Yeah, so I'm as old as uh, you guys. So, whenever a- I- <laughs> so every time I hear the Embers, uh, you know, I'm reminded, yeah, we're same age. Yeah, well, that's exactly and, uh and I've got you a few years, but uh, I am just blessed to have the health I have today. And uh, uh, I, am, I am performing and singing just as well today as I did when I first started singing many, many years ago, back in the 50s. Yes, uh, I left North Carolina, I guess, at the December of 1982 and, and was gone until 2005. And when I came back, I tried to you know, catch up with a lot of people. But when I heard you the other day, you sounded pretty good. I don't well, think you missed, 
Yeah, you didn't miss much of a beat at all. So that was a pretty uh, pleasant surprise. Let's talk about uh, your band. Uh, give us some history on it. You and Bobby Tomlinson, I guess, essentially began what turned out to be the Embers, right? So give, us a, his, give us a rundown on that. Well, we formed a band in 1958. I was playing with a high school band, and he was a, a year or so ahead of me at Neil Broughton. And uh, he wanted to form a band, and he came to me and said, Jackie, why don't we start performing together? And this was back in 1958. And uh, we struck up a few notes together, and we rehearsed at his mother's house in her kitchen, believe it or not. That's where the embers started, was in the kitchen <laughs> of Bobby, Bobby Tomlinson's parents' house. And uh, we just started uh, performing, and... Uh, there was an old 45 record back in those days, and it was called The Embers, which was a picture of burning logs on, on the cover of the, of the record. And that's where we got our name off of that, that, uh, that record in 1958, The Embers with the burning logs. And that's how The Embers name came about. And still going strong, I must say. Often bands start in a garage, but the Embers started in the kitchen. We did. That's exactly. So instead of a garage band, I guess you could we could legitimately refer to it as a kitchen band, huh? Band. That's correct. <laughs> yeah, Bobby Thomason uh, was the drummer, an excellent drummer, and you obviously play the lead guitar. That's right. And you mentioned Durwood Martin earlier, and who else was there? Well, in the early days, uh, our original piano player was in 1958. He was pledging Kappa Sig at NC State. His name was Blair Ellis. And it was Blair Ellis, Bobby Thompson, and myself. And we had a black saxophone player named Doug Harrison, who in those days, you could not take black people into clubs. And he was a real... He was a he was a good looking, real light skinned guy. And uh, we told him, I said, Doug, when people come up and talk to you, you just say me no speaking English. Sounds like me, huh? Like he was from the Bahamas or somewhere. And that really worked well. <laughs> and, and we were able to keep him with us for his entire duration with the Embers, which was about four or five years. See, that, that is a strive forward civil rights work-wise by the Embers at that time, because that action there was quite revolutionary in terms of society, wasn't it? That's exactly right. Because I doubt that there were many uh, bands that had African-American player as part of their regular gig. Well, that's for sure. In those days, that was unheard of. And we will be right back after this important message. And what was the rationale that 
you guys decided that Mr. Harrison was the right fit, despite his skin tone. Because he was such a great saxophone player, he was like quite a few years older than we were, and he had been playing saxophone for quite a few years before he started playing with us, and he was just a great saxophone player, one of the best of his the entire time that we were together. He was just one of the greatest of all time. Doug Harrison was his name. Is he still around? No, he's not. Uh, it's a long story as to what to happen to him, which I won't get into right now. But he he uh, he he was he was going with a girl, and she left him and went up to New York, and he went up and tried to find her, and that's the last we heard of Dur Doug Harrison. How about that? How about that? But what you guys did back then was really a step not only a step, maybe 10 steps forward society-wise? Well, when we first started, Augustus, there were, no, there were no white bands playing. We were the only white band actually playing uh, in those early days, early two or three years. And uh, we started out playing college fraternities at North Carolina State, Chapel Hill, and Duke. And then... Uh, and that's the way that's the way it started in, in, in fraternity houses back in the early, uh, late 50s, early 60s. Yeah, well, that's that's very good. As a fraternity member myself, uh, I used to attend some of those uh, parties. So basically, you saw Mr. Harrison as a pure musician. That was it. That's exactly right. He was and he was and he was a great guy. He was just a and, and he never had a driver's license. We had to pick him up every time we played a job. And he had to ride in the back seat of the car. He, he never had a driver's license, uh, can you, if you can believe that. But he was just a great saxophone player and a great guy. We loved Doug very much. How about that? How about that? Now, what was your role in the band at that time? And what was the name of the band? Was it called Embers then? Yes, it became the Embers in 1958. Okay. And so my what, what, role play guitar. Okay. And, the, and you sang, I guess, at that I time. I did. And anybody else uh, sing with you? Well, uh, some of the guys sang a few songs here and there, but uh, I was the lead singer, and I, I carried the weight for most of the vocal, the vocals lines and songs. Yeah, yeah. So you've been a lead singer for a long time, more or less. Three years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know when I first met you, uh, Jackie? When is that? My first interaction with the Embers was back in 1976, which was the 200th anniversary of the United States founding. And that. that was my 18th year and the band's 18th year because we were born on the same day. And that at that point, I was a senior in high school, Sanderson High School, up the road from Six Forks Row. But at the yeah. other end of the Six Forks Row was where you had a club. And so during the day, I was a high school student. And during the evening, I served beer and hard liquor to all the patrons that came. And when you guys came home from your uh, tours in other places and you'd play at home, you know, I would see you. But you know what I felt like at that time? Being a high school student, taking uh, geometry in the uh, morning and then uh, serving beer at night. I felt like Bruce Wayne in the daytime and Batman at nighttime being around adult uh, atmosphere. I understand. But the first time I saw you guys, I said, oh, my gosh, this is great. And that, at that time, Johnny uh, Hopkins was there 
playing the trombone and he had his long frizzly hair and those long baggy pants. Johnny Hopkins was a trumpet player, not trombone. Okay. I, I, I apologize. Uh, and so that's what, that's when I first ran into you guys and I thoroughly enjoyed the music that you guys were performing. And that's how I became a beast music fan in general and Embers fan in particular. Well, that's great. And, uh, and you're just like, uh, thousands and thousands of other fans that's exactly the way they became beach music fans was listening to the embers and coming to hear us perform in the early days yeah yeah it was nothing like it and uh whatever happened to that club did you just close it down at some point yeah we had uh two or three locations of the embers club and the first club i was involved with and then when they moved out to uh, Creekside Drive uh, uh, and opened the second club, I was not involved with that because they were having to spend a lot of money and I just didn't think it was going to work, of which it eventually did not work. And we had a, a couple other small locations in Raleigh after the original Embers Club. Right. And we had a down on Atlantic Beach called the Embers Beach Club. Right. And uh, that club did very well. We, 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 it was there for four or five years, and uh, we made quite a bit of money in that club. And uh, that's where, that's where the, the term beach music started in 1968 was some people coming to hear us perform at the Embers Beach Club. And then they would go home and they'd say, well, where is this, all this beach music we've been listening to down on Atlantic Beach with the Embers? And that's how the term beach music came to, to be uh, known. You've heard it here, folks, at Friday Podcast, where beach music term came from. That's now, right. In terms of uh, Embers, when did you realize that Embers as a band was going to make it as a band? Well, I didn't realize it in the early years because we really wasn't making that much money. You know, if we made 15 or $20 a night, that was, that was unbelievable. But then we actually started playing a lot in the mid to late 60s when we opened the Embers Beach Club. That's when we really started hitting the road and getting the big bucks was in the late 60s. And uh, that that just went on for, for many, many years. And uh, thank God it did. And uh, how blessed we all were as a result of our entertaining abilities. Now you guys travel a lot over the road and you perf- go ahead. Well, what happened was <clears throat> in 1968, we were playing the Emerald Isle Beach Music Concert down on Emerald Isle, North Carolina. And that was one of the first beach music concerts. And we had about 10,000 people there. And it was sponsored by Anheuser-Busch, the Budweiser people. Well, I drank Budweiser in those days. And the last song of the day, I was singing, I love beach music, but I started singing, I love Budweiser. <laughs> Our crowd holding their Budweiser bottles up and singing with me. And the Anheuser-Busch, Anheuser-Busch people went wild. They said, you have got to record that I love Budweiser and become a part of the, the the Budweiser team, and we did. And and as a result, 
we started playing all over the country for the for the Budweiser conventions in Chicago, Boca Raton, Florida, went to Hawaii twice. And of course, you know, they paid for everything. And it, it was just it was just one of the greatest experiences we had but because of me singing I Love Budweiser. How about that? <laughs> Emerald concert. There you go. That you did the right thing at the right time. Exactly right. And many, uh, I mean, I guess so many years ago, they still sponsor you guys, don't, don't they, the Embers? No, they do not. Okay. Well, you and I both drank Budweiser back then. I think many Americans drank Bud at that time, and we enjoyed it. But these days, I got to drink something light, so maybe I'll stick with Bud Light. I, I do the same thing. I've switched to Michelob Light. <laughs> <laughs> now, where is the most distant place you performed as a band? Well, like I said, we played in Hawaii twice. That must and have that, been nice, huh? Oh, that was that was unbelievable. And of course, Budweiser, they paid for everything, flew us out there, and they they were chartered uh when we did concerts in the United States, like in Chicago or Boca Raton, Florida, or San Diego, they would charter airplanes for us to fly in. And of course, we didn't pay for anything. They 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 put in the bill for everything. You know, Budweiser they got more money than the federal government. <laughs> that's that's the God's truth, and they were just a great great organization to be a part of. How about that? Maybe the government ought to tax them a little bit, huh? I really, no question. <laughs> now, now, when you were playing in Hawaii back then, did Steve McGarrett of Hawaii Five O show up and say, "Book him, Dano." If he did, I don't remember that. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Hawaii, uh, Hawaii Five O TV show back. In I the remember, show, but I don't remember any of the people because you know, in those days, I never watched those shows because I was playing all the time, and I never got to see any of those shows because I was performing at night, and when those shows were being shown on TV, so I never got to see. I mean, I knew about them because my. Uh, my wife at the time, she watched all of those shows and uh, she would tell me about them. But uh, I was never really affiliated with, with that, that type of entertainment because I was performing myself all the time. I understand. You got more important things you had to accomplish. I get that. You know, not many North Carolinians have been to Hawaii and seen that part of the world. So that must have been an eye opener for you back then. Well, it is. Hawaii is paradise. No question about it. You go there and 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 people and plants that people have to fight to cultivate in our part of the world in North Carolina, they grow wild in Hawaii. I mean, everywhere you look, those beautiful flowers are growing and they and they grow there, you know, with uh on their own and they're not they're not cultivated like they have to do in our part of the world they just and it's the most it, it is paradise it, it truly is absolutely those islands in the pacific are just uh, unbelievable you have to actually see it to believe it that's yeah. who haven't been there need to find a way to get there at some point in time because it is paradise yes and uh I'm, that's one one of my uh, lists to go back to let me ask you, what is the strangest location you ever played as a band? The what now? The most strangest location you ever played in a band. Uh, I wouldn't know. Uh, I played, I have, you know, I've been doing this, like I say, for 63 years. 
And I, you know, I don't even remember most of the places <laughs> because, you know, they're like, they're like a road sign. You know, you stop, you ride them down the road and you stop noticing the road signs. And that's the way my, I mean, I remember a lot of the jobs that I had played and, 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 and where I play now, but like I say, you just, they just kind of fade away and, you know, and they just, uh, you know, you just don't remember all those things. Right, right. Often a lot of the bands remember the location of the gig, but that's all they remember. They fly in and perform and they fly out again for the next city. So it's probably similar to that. That's exactly right. Now, what is it about music, Jackie, that hits people and makes it so important part of their life? You know, I don't know. Uh, we recorded a song called Far Away Places that became a big hit. And as a child, adolescent, my mother used to sing that song, Far Away Places. And I loved that song as a, as an adolescent, as a child. And that was written after the, uh, the World War One when uh, guys were going to faraway places with strange sounding names. And that, and that was just a great song. And I said, if I ever start recording one of these days, I'm going to record that song. And I, we did. And it became a great hit for the Embers, Faraway Places. Yes. And I have that version that you sang. And it's a beautiful, uh, beautifully done. And I've heard Perry Como do it. Andy Williams do it. And I've heard you do it. And there's no difference in terms of quality. The words are very nice. And uh, it really does make you think back on some of that the different era. You know, one of my uh, friends and one of your fans wanted to inquire and he wanted me to ask you this question when was the last time that Raymond Massey showed up at a performance and sang I gotta be me <laughs> I guess that was probably in uh in the early 90s when uh, see, I see I, I left the Embers in 1994 and Raymond Massey was a big part of our last several years and uh Raymond Massey is he he's more famous than I am believe it <laughs> and well, uh, tell us who he was so people can get a, a understanding of what we're talking about well Raymond Massey was a uh uh my my wife for many many years ago saw a skit on television where a guy would come out and start singing the song, I've got to be me. And during the songs, he would start taking his clothes off and would become a transvestite right in front of your eyes. That's right. And, and that's how I started doing the Raymond Massey thing with that skit. But all of the comedy stuff developed over the years after that initial skit of I've got to be me. Right. Uh, so Raymond, go ahead. That's all. That's all. That's, that's the way Raymond became famous. And some of the things that I, all the skits and the jokes that I told people remember those. It was just, it was just, a, it was just a great fun time uh, in my life to be able to do Raymond Mass. And, and you may see him again at some point in time. Okay. I will pass that along. Yeah, just just so that people know, Ramey Wet Massey character was a construction worker, and he wore a hard hat. And then, well, as uh, as you start singing, you would start taking off clothes, and you would end up in a woman's outfit with a blonde hair. That's exactly right. 
And you're saying I gotta be me. And it's a funny thing, I was doing that uh, Raymond Massey act at the club uh, in Statesville, North Carolina. And two police officers came in and uh, me being my comedian act that I did, I walked up to him, I said, did y'all come here to arrest me? <laughs> and he said, he said, if you don't get on the way from here, we might arrest you. And I tried to, to, to let him know who I was and I let and I put my arm on his shoulder to tell him us. <laughs> and he said, You assaulted a police police officer. And he pushed me down and handcuffed me and took me to the Statesville Police Department and book and was going to book me for assaulting a police officer. How about that? And and when I went in there, you know, I had a wig up under that hard hat, and the man said, Take that hard hat off. And I took it off and the wig fell down all around my shoulders. So you, you, from his perspective, you qualified as a bona fide transvestite. Well, that's right. And, and, uh, and when I went back to court, I had a lot of high-ranking highway patrol friends of mine who went back to testify was for me in court, telling the court who I was and what, what, uh, and what I had did for the community. And when the, ju- when the judge heard all this testify, it made him real mad that these high-ranking highway patrolmen came in and testified for me. And he, he, and he threw it he threw it out. He said, get out of my courtroom. And I got a from them uh, a few weeks later saying, if I would not sue them for false arrest, they would drop those charges against me. <laughs> and wow. Honest to God, true story. That is funny. So the Statesville policeman actually booked you. Yeah, well, they tried to. They, they took me downtown and was, and was going to arrest me for assaulting a police officer, which I didn't actually assault him. I was just trying to, to make him aware of exactly who I was. That I was a performer in the band, but they, uh, it's crazy. Yeah, it was, I'm. I'm sure the guy must have felt embarrassed when the, all the truth came out and realized what he had done. Well, the policeman who actually arrested me was a little Barney Fife kind of guy, if you know what I mean. With one bullet, huh? <laughs> I mean, he was just, he was just, uh, just somebody who he was just, he, he was nobody really. And, uh, and, and we, and, and, and thing about it, all the newspapers like the Charlotte Observer, the Raleigh News Observer, all the major newspapers who knew me and what my act was, they, boy, they did, they killed that Statesville Police Department. <laughs> I guess the guy I, had a Napoleon complex and he never lived it down. I guess so. And, and but they, the, the newspapers just, just eat that police department up because they had arrested Raymond Massey, Jackie Gore. <laughs> 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 that's almost sacrilegious there, man. Well, well, that's the honest to God truth. And now the world knows that story. Yeah. I, apparently Raymond Massey slash Jackie Gore made that police officer famous or infamous, I guess, at that time. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. And we will be right back after this important message. When the cold wind I 
we're back. All right, let's move on, man. Now, you not only perform as a, a lead singer, and you are an excellent guitar player, but you also composed a number of the songs, right? Well, actually, I've only composed one song that we recorded, and it's become the uh, national anthem of beach music, which was I Love Beach Music. Yes, we all know that. And uh, it's become known as the national anthem of beach music because it says everything that you need to know about beach music and what it is. Yes. And even today, when the uh, embers with, uh, contem- well, I guess the contemporary members, they open with that opening theme, opening notes well, of I love beach music. Well, they should. <laughs> Why is that? Because it's, it's, it's what made the embers who they are today was I love beach music. Gotcha. Now, when you when you compose, Jackie, are you a melody first or a lyrics first guy? Melody first. I have, I get a tune in my mind, and then I'm able to to, to put words to the, to the to the melody that I sing. Okay. And how long does it typically uh, take you to go from beginning to the end? Well, believe it or not, I love beach music was done in like two or three hours. Wow, that's pretty good. I put all the song titles together and uh, I had a melody in my mind to, 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 to fit right along with what I was trying to say. And uh, that, that's, that's the way it all came about. And how long did it take you from that point on to produce it and put it out? Well, we recorded it probably, uh, I, I would say a, a few weeks after that. And uh, it got immediate attention with all the beach music DJs in, in, in our part of the world. Were you pleasantly surprised or did you expect that to take off uh, that fast? Or did I did you... not. So I you, you kind of expect it to just kind of go up the chart a week at a time. That's exactly right. But why, why do you suppose it kind of took off? Because of what it was saying and everybody who, when I was saying, I love beach music, that's what everybody loved beach music in those days. And, and everybody could relate to that song so much because it said everything that needed to be said about what beach music is. 60-Minute Man walking up a one-way street, up on the roof, under the boardwalk. It had all the songs that people had sang all of those years as beach music or rhythm and blues. Yeah, you're talking about that beach music medley, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess, when did you, what year did you put that out? Uh, I guess that was probably in, uh, I would say 70, 68 or 1969 or 70. Yeah, that, that's, uh, I, I love that rendition. It's, it's really well done. And one of the things about beach music. Those, uh, go ahead. Those, that medley was put together by our bass player. His name was Gerald Davis. Oh, he okay. Had, he actually put those uh, those uh, titles together. Okay, yeah, yeah. I know Gerald. Yeah, he's still uh, performing now. He's, he's still with Embers, right, playing bass? Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. You guys go back a long way. Now, yeah, uh, you went solo in 1995 or 93, around that era? 94. 94. 94. What was the impetus of Jackie Gore going solo from your roots of being with the embers? 
Well, you know, I just uh, wanted to do something different. And, and, uh, and I started, you know, just playing solo uh, jobs, you know, by myself. I had my own equipment, my own PA equipment. And uh, I just started doing a solo act, you know. Uh, and then, and then we, and then a year, a few years later, we were, we formed the, the, the group, the Legends of Beach which I had a lot of the old embers members in the band, like Gerald Davis, Johnny Barker, uh, uh, Johnny Hopkins, just a lot of the old embers playing were playing with the new, uh, uh, right. The legends, right. Just for the record, Johnny Barker was also the founder of the Catalinas. That's why he wrote the song summertime's calling me. Yes, which I loved and shagged many, many times when I was a Carolina student on a West Franklin Street. Um, when you decided to go solo and you took some of the uh, members of the band, how did that impact the Embers as a whole? Well, actually, uh, when we formed the uh, the uh, Legends of Beach, a lot of those members had already left the Embers and wanted to perform with me again. And uh, that, that's how that, that, that transpired. Okay. When I came back uh, 2002, uh, 2005 to North Carolina from being around the world, and, you know, I try to get back into beach music uh, community. And I had heard that uh, at some point, and I don't know how valid it is. So you need to correct me if uh, I'm off base. So I heard that there was some tension between you and Craig Willow, who was member of the, uh, embers with you so what what was the deal that took place there well it's it's just a long story and i don't want i don't i don't want to bring up uh things that i'm I'm not real happy about and craig and i had some uh some some difficulties and some differences and it transpired into something that it should not have but that was in the past and we're great friends now and we talk about how the whole incident should never have happened, but we're great friends now. In fact, he was with me this past weekend, and uh, we're great friends again. I love Craig. He's a great entertainer. Yes, yes, and I know Craig, and he's a wonderful man, and so are you. And I guess part of it was that when you travel and, you know, gig after gig, things build up, I guess. Was it, was it a more of a stylistic difference, or was it more personality difference? And we'll leave it at that. Uh, I think it was stylistic and, uh, more so, or, or it, it, it could have been, it could have gone either way. Okay. But I know that you and Craig get along wonderfully now. So it's not, a, it's, you know, I'm not trying to rehash the past, but I just wanted to set, give you an opportunity to, uh, correct any misunderstandings. Well, like I said, it, it was something that, uh, transpired and I won't go into the details of exactly what would happen because I don't want to bring that up. Uh, to the public because we're great friends we had a little uh, a little difficulty that we overcame and uh, that's all in the past yes and that's wonderful because both of you are giants in the community so uh, to see both of you hugging each other and shaking hands is a beautiful beautiful sight yeah which I appreciate as a, a fan of both of you all right, let's uh, talk. I want to ask you a question about the northern soul scene in the United Kingdom. 
how did the beach music and your professional uh, performances cross the pond all the way to United Kingdom? I don't have any idea unless people, <laughs> uh, unless people who lived in this country moved over there and took this music with them and started playing it over there. That's the only uh, uh, explanation I can come up with uh, because from what I understand, people love well, it's, see, beach music is the old Motown sound. That's exactly what it is. It's old rhythm and blues, and then Motown came on the scene in the early '60s, and uh, that's and Motown is famous, as you know, for the the Temptation, the Four Tops, all those fa- great groups of the '60s, and uh, that's that's how that music became popular in in England and other places. Did you get a chance to go over there and perform? No, I have not. How about that? I think they're missing out. I guess this is this is proof that music transcends uh, national borders. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, your daughter sings as well. That she does, and she's got a great voice. And uh uh she 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 sang she sang with me quite a bit. And uh her husband has a, a band they call the, the Sand Band, and they live down in a little town called Robbins, North Carolina, near Carthage. And she still performs uh, on, on occasions, not as much as she did. See, she was she was a lead singer at at the uh, uh, at one of the, the main clubs in Myrtle Beach for like twenty years, and her name was out on the out on the billboard, Terry Gore. And she had a great band that we called the Coco Loco Band, and they performed with her. And she made a, a huge name for herself in those days. And people still love the way she sings and performs today. And, and when we perform together, people just love us performing together. Yes, that must be very, very satisfying. Now, she's a quality singer, and it's very clear that the apple didn't Fall, fall too far from the tree. Well, that's for sure. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw her perform uh, two weeks ago on July 4th, and uh, it was wonderful to see her. Some of her renditions it was is wonderfully done. You know, I actually saw the Sand Band about a month ago in Graham when they were performing on Thursday yeah. night. And I had... I had I wasn't aware of Sand Band, and, and I tried to look them up, but there weren't too, there weren't too many information on the uh, Internet. So I actually went there and I thoroughly enjoyed the Sand Band. Yeah, I love their yeah, I love their repertoire, and I hope to see more of them. And they're down by San, uh, by Pinehurst, right? In that area, yes, they're in that area. Yeah, so I, uh, I'm going to hopefully see them again whenever I can find uh, their schedule. Well, her husband, uh, my daughter's husband, his name is Daryl. He's the guitar player and one of the singers in that band. Yes. Okay. Next time I uh, see them, I will introduce myself now that please, I know. Please do. Yes. Uh, you and Bobby Tomlinson, when you look back on 63 years of your life and my life to entertain people through the genre of beach music, what thoughts pop into your mind in the end? What songs pop into my mind that I really like? Yeah. Well, I've got quite a few songs that I really like. 
fact, a song written in 1955, sung by Andy Williams called Canadian Sunset. Yes. That's one of my one of my all time favorite songs. And then I did a song called Begin the Begin, which was written in 1932 by a gentleman named Cole Porter. That's one of the greatest songs of all time. Begin the Begin. Canadian Sunset, Faraway Places, uh, you know, songs like that. Just just I do them. I do them every every, every job I play. I perform those songs. Yeah, that's they're wonderful pieces. And I've heard them all. Um, when you guys put out cassette tapes back then, that's that's how I got exposed to it. What's next uh, for Jackie Gore, the godfather of beach music? You know what? I am just happy with what I'm doing now, playing with Derwin Martin and Tony Davis and myself in the Martin Davis band. We just, people just love what we do as much as any genre I have ever been in. Where, whether it be the Embers, Legends of Beach, or whatever you can name. People love, because Derwood Martin and myself are the original. We, 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 gave, we started the Embers playing the music back in the early 60s, at which we still play all of those songs today. And a lot of those bands don't play those songs like we still play. And I, we can, it's, it's amazing Derwood would be on stage and Derwood can call up a song I haven't sang in 30 or 40 years. And it's amazing how the lyrics, the words just come back to me when I start singing the song. It's amazing how I can still remember that. That is amazing because often, you know, when you get older, some of these songs that you haven't sang in years, they disappear. Remember Frank Sinatra, when when he used to give concerts, he would forget the words, you know, understandably. (laughs) <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I've been blessed, and and, and I, I'm thank God Alzheimer's hadn't that hadn't come on me yet. <laughs> well, that's good. That means you got good genetics. Now you stay healthy, Jackie. As long as you stay healthy, clearly you're mentally alert, so that's fine. And as long as you stay healthy, uh, the beach music community, uh, beach music community's godfather, is going to carry on. Well, you're and- sweet letting me do this uh, interview with you today. And I could not be more pleased with uh, the, the the things that you have talked to me about. I'm just glad to make it known to the world uh, as far as what I have been able to accomplish. And uh, I hope the good Lord will continue to let me do what I'm doing, you know. And I thank the good Lord many times every day for my health and my talent. I'm so blessed to have those two things. And I thank God for it many times every day. Amen and amen, brother. Any final closing words of wisdom or thoughts for the world in general and the beach music fans in particular? Let's just keep doing what we've been doing for about 63 years and and, and the world will still be great forever. <laughs> okay. As always on the Fry It Up podcast, may your life journey continue with happiness and success. This is Augustus Cho, over and out.